Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Backtracker History Show with me, Alice. And this Halloween episode features a paranormal investigation into a local landmark, invited along by South Bristol Paranormal, a small dedicated group of serious paranormal investigators from Bristol who investigate so-called haunted locations in many different parts of the UK with fellow professional investigators and their teams. But before I share with you what happened that evening, let's talk more about the location. The Warmly Clock Tower was part of a development that had the first commercial production of zinc in Europe and was pioneered by William Champion during the 1730s on the outskirts of Bristol. Before this, zinc had to be imported from India or China, and that was very expensive. Zinc and copper are the two major components of brass. As a direct result of Champion's work, Bristol became Europe's biggest brass producer. William Champion came from a prominent Quaker family that already had a foothold in the Bristol metal trade. His father, Nehemiah, was a leading partner in the Bristol Brass Wire Company, based at Baptist Mills, a brassworks which he had helped to establish in 1702. And it was William's familiarity with the works and the skills of the labour force which gave him a solid grounding in metallurgy from an early age. To further his knowledge, William toured Europe as a young man, where he acquired an interest in producing zinc. Zinc, or spelter as it was called, was only just becoming accepted as a metal rather than a stone or earth that appeared to convert copper to brass. When he returned, he became a junior partner in the Bristol Brass Company in 1730. He then experimented for six years to develop a process to create zinc. William experimented with smelting a zinc-rich ore called calamine, which was mined in the Mendip Hills. The process that he developed was remarkably similar to one that had been used for hundreds of years at the Zawa mines in India, where this process was available centuries before William Champion rediscovered it, since the 12th century AD. During his research, he discovered that zinc could be extracted from zinc oxide, found in calamine, by heating it to a very high temperature in excess of 1,000 degrees centigrade, and thus turning it into gas. But the problem was that as soon as the gas cooled down, it reacted with air and turned back into zinc oxide. So William realised that in order to prevent this reoxidization, zinc needed to be cooled in the absence of air. He achieved this by building a large-scale distillation furnace based in the Bristol glass cones in which sealed pots were filled with a mixture of calamine and charcoal. Once heated, the zinc vapours from the calamine descended through an airless iron tube at the bottom of the pot and through the floor of the furnace into a vessel of water, where condensed zinc collected in sufficient amounts to be gathered. And all in all, the distillation process took about 70 hours, in which time 400 kilograms of zinc could be produced from six crucibles at a cost of £7,000. Although this was a lengthy and inefficient process, this was a huge 
metallurgical advance for the time. However, he had now created two sets of enemies. The local residents who in September 1742 reported Champion to the city council. And they sought assurance that Champion would cease metal smelting at the site immediately. And also the zinc importers and traders. When he started, his experimentation spelter sold at £260 per tonne. By 1750, this had reduced to £48, resulting in a loss to the traders who were trying to force Champion out of business. In 1738, William Champion registered a patent for his process, entitled A Method of Invention for the Reducing of Sulphurous British Minerals into a Body of Metallic Sulphur, which was a deliberately obscure description, which can be translated as processing calamine to produce metallic zinc. And the patent gave him a 14-year monopoly right, and the process was operated in secret until 1766. This would kick off years of hardship. He had made, by 1742, 200 tonnes of zinc at his works when he was required to relocate following complaints by the city fathers about the harmful smoke from his furnaces. The situation was made worse by a bitter price war with his competitors. The industrial scale of the production of zinc threatened the livelihood of many Bristol importers, and fearing the loss of trade, they imported cheaper spelter and brought their prices right down to £48 per tonne in order to squeeze Champion out of the market. But despite the fact that the importers were themselves losing money at this price, they maintained the lower prices since it made it impossible for Champion to sell his stock at a profit. He was reported to have lost £4,000 as a result, the equivalent today of £750,000. In 1742, Champion's father, Nehemiah, a widower, married a widow, Martha Vanderwall, the sister of Thomas Goldney III. The Goldney family owned land in Warmley, five miles east of Bristol, and in 1746, backed by the Goldney family, William left the Bristol Brass Company and began to construct the Warmley Works. Over the next few years, the Warmley Works became the biggest metal processing plant in the world, with outputs of zinc, copper, brass and other metals. The Warmley site was set up for production of copper and brass spelter, and various utensils of copper and brass, largely pots, pans, pins, vats, and wire. Some of these items may even have been made in the building we now call the Warmly Clock Tower. Word of the Week And now for this week, the word I give you is... Camelopard, which is the more traditional English expression for a giraffe, and it comes from the Greek camelopardalis, derived from camelos, camel, and pardalis, leopard, and was common until the late 
19th century. Not many people who used the word originally had ever seen a real giraffe, and as a result, they often imagined a camelopard was looking literally like a combination of a camel and a leopard. By 1748, the Warmly site was in full production. Around this time, the company's workforce consisted of about 800 men, many of whom were offered accommodation in purpose-built housing. Not only that, but William also built his own Dutch star house close to the works, along with ornate grottos and gardens, where guests could enjoy themselves in close proximity to the factory workings. Many of the buildings were made from the byproducts of Champion's brass-making industry, including clinker and purple-black slag blocks. They were used to create the grotto and other garden features. William Champion was ahead of his time in regards to recycling. The water wheels that powered the mills were kept in operation by recycling water from the 13-acre lake on the northwest side of the complex. And the lake was not just functional, it was also ornamental, with a 25-foot-tall statue of Neptune at its centre. I'd like to point out that this statue is still there, but unfortunately the lake isn't. It was silted up by the 1970s and is now the site of Kingsway Mobile Home Park. The site also had a windmill, complete with a revolving cap and sails, which may or may not have helped with water circulation, as well as one of the largest ice houses in the country. As you can imagine, by 1750, William had lost a lot of money, and he petitioned the House of Commons for an extension on his patent, but he was denied due to strong opposition from competitors in Lancashire, as well as a counter-petition by the powerful lobby of the merchants of Bristol. Borrowing heavily, William continued to expand his business through development of both the Warmley site, as well as new furnaces at Kingswood, a forge at Kelston near the River Avon, and a battery mill at Bitton on the River Boyd. William continued to overextend himself, and by 1765 he started development of a new dock on the eastern bank of the River Avon, which would be capable of holding 36 large ships. However, after the increased cost of construction depleted his resources, and with a distinct lack of trade, he sold the dock in 1770 to the merchant venturers for £1,770, or a quarter of a million in today's money. They renamed it the Merchant's Dock. William Champion's company was in financial difficulty, and he tried many different ways of trying to solve the problem but each time he was blocked by his competitors. They said that he was holding a monopoly on the industry. In the end, he was discovered to be attempting to remove his money from the company in April 1768. He was dismissed by its directors and was declared bankrupt. 
on the 11th of March 1769, the Warmly works were offered for sale to Felix Farley's Bristol Journal. In later years, it would be occupied by Haskins Pottery and by Dalton and Young for the manufacture of cosmetics. On the 22nd of May 1789, William Champion died at the age of 84 at Somerset Street in Bristol. He left five children, including a son, John, born 1746, who followed in his father's footsteps as a manufacturer in the Bristol brass industry. Warmly House and Garden, William's home before bankruptcy, remained a private home until it was acquired by the council after World War II. Much of the wider landscape has been lost over the years, including the Elm Walk. And as I said earlier, there's now a static caravan park development on part of the former lake. The rest of the wilderness of trees and Champion's former eye-catcher Gothic summer house are now a private residence. The remnants of the landscape are listed Grade 2 by Historic England, and the gardens are now open every day of the year, but the grotto is only accessible once a month in summer due to ongoing vandalism. Now, for this Halloween special, I had great pleasure in meeting some real characters from the South Bristol Paranormal. One of them was the truly knowledgeable Karen Besant, and here she is giving us a little insight into the history of the Warmly Complex. This part was part of the King's Forest, so Kingswood derives from the King's Forest. It spread right up to Gloucester, over in Wales, etc., and the king's men were a law unto themselves. You have the Cockroach Gang. Finally, in the mid-1800s, um, they either hung them, jailed them, or transported them. Protection rackets. You had the pit people, the stone people, everything. So th this has fabulous background history. And the famous hanging of John Horwood, his family came from this area as well. For, for me, doing the paranormal and giving something back, helping, is worth its weight in gold. I do it to loads of places. And since we've done the paranormal hire, they've made enough money to keep the doors open for community use, but also they've got a healthy bank balance. Karen also had some very interesting and quite frankly, sensible, common sense, ideas about paranormal investigation. For us, just doing the normals, anyone here, it's boring. We recently went to Woodchester in May and we dressed up in period costume relating to Woodchester Mansion and the former mansion, Spring Park. Because language, how we speak, how we talk, going back even to Victorian times, changes. I'll show you an example. This was printed 1811, so it's Georgian. And say you're trying to converse with someone from that time period. These are fables, beautiful. By reading this out, you understand the language of the time and how they spoke. <laughs> Word on the street. Today, we're travelling to Fussell Court in BS 15, named after Abraham Fussell, 
a warmly man who made a fortune in the boot trade with his revolutionary methods of manufacture, along with his business partner, Daniel Fluke. They introduced riveting machinery into their factories in the 1880s. Now it's time to continue with our Halloween special paranormal investigation into the Warmly Clock Tower. And we were there for a total of around eight hours. And in that time, we did many experiments. Some of the traditional ones, like this. If there is anyone here in the room with us tonight, you'll see that we all have our hands on this table, very lightly. Please use our energy and your own energy to make the table move ever so slightly. If you're yeah, over you in the corner. Put corners. that shadow in the far window. Far just in yeah, the corner there. there. But Sarah's shadow moved over there. So I'm trying to work out what that shadow is. Oh, gosh, is that the shadow detector going off now? No, it's the temperature. What's that shadow in the, in the window? Sarah. It's not. It's not. She's moved. And it Sarah, won't can you move again, please, love? She's not moving. No, Sarah, can you move, please? She's in that window. Who's in that one then? You. Yeah, who's that? It's I'm you. Really oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's your head. Yeah. yeah. I was I was going to do process of elimination, try and work out who was shadow. I knew it was one To be fair, though, looking at that angle, I wouldn't have thought that was you. No, no, I, no. I thought no, it was the light coming over there. there. Uh, yeah. There's light coming through there. Yeah. Good debunk. What you just heard was a very, very good example of a debunk whereby the group, if they see or hear something they can't explain, they try to explain it. And 90% of the time, there is an explanation. Unlike what you see on television, anyone who's done a real paranormal investigation will tell you that most of the time, you are actually just sat there in the dark. One of the other experiments we did, which I'd never done before, was automatic writing, as is explained here. Basically, automatic writing, you clearly have um, a pen and a pad in front of you. You just completely zone now, like just don't even look at what you're writing. Just look straight ahead, pen on the pad and just scroll. And just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, but you're not paying attention to what your hands so are doing. So you scribble, basically? Yeah, you just keep going. And okay. let, your, let your hand just Yeah, let your hand just do what it wants to do. Okay. So why someone would call out from the media? So we call it calling out. It's just basically like James was just doing. Like if you're here, can you move the table? Um. So we're just going to be asking what seems like random questions to try and get a response. Okay, but we call it. We we say we we name it calling out. And so with Karen talking about the place and its history, we were sat around a table with our eyes closed in the dark and her hands were just drifting around the paper, doing whatever. Now, after our 10 minutes of calling out was done, here's just one of the results from that particular session. So, Kate, what did you feel? Yeah, my hand just kind of started doing stuff. And I, I was kind of aware that it was words, but I didn't quite know what the words yeah. were. 
but I was just kind of zoned out staring out the window. You could be a doctor with writing. Like yeah, I could. <laughs> I could, could I? Doctor writing. There's a few words there. Wow. That's like, cannot. Oh, God knows what that is. Did you not have any control over it? Tell, I, does that say yeah. tell me? Yeah. And I think, is that tell my, I don't know. Why? I, I kind of, tell my something what, what I, I did. did. What I, is that did? Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably when I was talking about the cockpit again. Yeah, I was kind of half aware of what you were saying, but not completely listening. Um, oh why? I died for. Is that died? Don't tell me. Died what I. What I from? Maybe. Don't know. Mm. Why? Something light. I. Very. Very. I don't know. Westy. <laughs> Without something, without yeah. something down there. Without something, I don't know, need, question mark. I have no idea. Did you find it interesting? It was interesting, yeah. Some words kind of came to me as writing them and I mm. kind of thought the words and I was aware I was writing them, but then I instantly forgot what those words were. And as for my results from that particular experience? That's quite a very obviously an F there. Mm. Yes, yes it is. So, how did you feel? What did you think? I, I was, I couldn't say I was listening to you. Mm. Um, yeah, I just felt quite calm and... Brilliant. Just didn't know. Looks like kids have like doodled that. I was going to say, this... that looks like the start of a doll. Oh, it's like yeah. a rainbow. Exactly. That looks like Scotland. Yeah, I was thinking that looked like a bit like a map. And yeah, it does look like yeah. a map. Yeah, I've seen it before, yeah. What's the name of the guy? There's a guy, the one you were talking about in the previous room, that stands in the corner. Gerald? James. James. The one that's really mean to women. James. James. Oh, okay. Just because I, I don't know, that kind of looks like a W. Could be. You know, again, we 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 cannot prove the assumption of William Champion. I have to say that I was very impressed by the number of experiments that took place in the Warmly Clock Tower. There were, of course, the more common traditional ones, like the Ouija board or the calling out. But there are others, like being sat in the corner of the room, wearing a blindfold and sound counselling headphones, listening to radio static. And every time you could hear a word, you'd shout that out and someone would record it. The one experiment that really scared me was when I was asked to go into a particular room at the top of the building and sit there and act like I'm actually interviewing an entity, asking questions about themselves, that sort of thing. The only thing is, I'd be on my own on that floor and in the dark. This lasted for 10 minutes and there were moments when I wasn't sure if it was my imagination playing up or if I'd actually seen something. But you know when you sort of see something out of the corner of your eye moving, or you wonder if that shadow was always there? Yes, did not like that one. But all those were nothing compared to the apartment attached to the clock tower. When Kate and I were asked to reenact an experiment that had occurred before with another group, we of course said yes. And so off we went to this one-bed apartment in the clock tower. So off we went. 
and the previous group were still there, waiting to see what would happen. They were sat downstairs in the living room, and we were taken upstairs to the shower room, where one of us was to perch on the sink and the other to stand in the shower. We were then told that the light would be switched off and we'd be left in there for ten minutes. David kindly stayed on the other side of the door because we were a little bit scared, but it was all right because nothing happened. So we went downstairs, and two others went upstairs and did exactly the same thing, and nothing happened to them. So we were asked if we'd like to try it again, but with no one with us. At this point, it was near the end of the evening, and we were feeling a bit gung-ho, so we said yes. It was my turn to be stood in the shower, which was three-sided, tiled, no windows, no holes, just a shower head. And Kate was perched on the sink. After about two minutes of utter silence, we started chatting. And then this happened. Something's playing with my hair. Right, okay, right, we're done. We're done. We're out, we're done. Yes! Right, I didn't. I did. In the shower. In the shower, my hair was being pulled. That's exactly where everyone had their hair pulled or tugged or something. I thought I'd caught it on the shower, but I hadn't moved and it was like, and then she said, yeah, we're done, right? Did the atmosphere change? Did you it's feel colder. We, we were just chatting casually though, again, like early on. It's when we were relaxed yeah. and we weren't really stressing, we were just yeah. chatting really quietly. And that's when it just happened. Now, it was at this point that we were told when we'd gone up earlier, downstairs they'd heard some clattering around as if we'd been running around in the room above them. Of course, we said we hadn't. And they asked us to go upstairs and recreate exactly what we did. So, off we went. And this is what was said when we came back. Could you hear us that time going? Yeah, but it sounded like somebody walking about above. Okay. It was like running. It was like that. We should have it on camera. Really? I'm sure it happened twice. It did. It did happen twice. But it was so loud. I'm surprised you didn't hear it. No. No. That's what I always find really weird though. Like when when sounds almost thrown. Mm. That sound yeah. was thrown down here, but in any logical sense, it was on floorboards that yeah. we just three do you would hear it too. <gasps> it's at this point when they were trying to see who'd be going next into the shower room when I asked this question. Who okay. closed the door on the shower? Sorry? Who closed the door in the bathroom? Not me. Because it was open when we walked past, and it was closed when we came back down. Oh, I thought you were closed. No. What, when, when you went out? No, yeah. Do you think we should sit up there? It was open mm. when we, we left, and we walked past it again to go up to copy what we did. Because yeah. I looked in, and I thought, I'm not going in there again. Oh. And then when we walked past yeah. back, what it was open, it was closed. Really? And I thought maybe you'd closed it because you were in the front and I was at the back. So if you didn't close it, I remember now that you mentioned it. I looked in as we went past. Yeah, I looked in. That was upstairs. 
It was open when we walked past because I thought I'm not going in that shower. It's worth giving the shower another shot. Oh, do it, do it, do it. We were in there for quite a bit before it happened. It does seem to happen when you get relaxed. Because I thought. We've come a long way in the fight against COVID-19. Many more of our favourite places are fully open for business again. Shops, stadiums, cafes, cinemas and nightclubs. And if we work together, we can keep them that way. But the virus is still with us, so we should all carry on protecting our friends and family. So if you have mild symptoms, don't guess. Take a test and stay at home if you think you could have the virus, even if you've been vaccinated. Let's keep life moving. Find out more at nhs.uk slash get tested. Back in the day facts. And so, my friends, let's start with the 29th of October in 1390, where the first trial for witchcraft in Paris, leading to the death of three people, was held. On the 30th of October 1938, Orson Welles broadcasts a radio adaptation of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, causing a massive panic in some of the audience in the United States. Also on the 30th of August, but in 1944, Anne and Margot Frank are deported from Auschwitz to the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp, where they die from disease the following year, shortly before the end of World War II. On the 31st of October 1940, the Battle of Britain ends. The United Kingdom prevents a possible German invasion during World War II. The 1st of November 1604 saw William Shakespeare's tragedy Othello performed for the first time at Whitehall Palace in London. And on that same date, but in 1611, Shakespeare's play The Tempest is performed for the first time in exactly the same place, Whitehall Palace, London. The 2nd of November 1959 saw the first section of the M1 motorway, the first interurban motorway in the United Kingdom, opened between the present junction 5 and 18 along the M10 motorway and M45 motorway. On the same date, but in 1960, Penguin Books is found not guilty of obscenity in the Lady Chatterley's Lover case. And lastly, on the 3rd of November, 1534, English Parliament passes the first Act of Supremacy, making King Henry VIII head of the Anglican Church, supplanting the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. Well, I'm afraid that's the end of this year's Halloween special. And I have to say it's up to you to decide what you believe in. But personally, I went in not really thinking anything was going to happen. And there were some things that I couldn't really explain. An absolutely massive thank you has to go out to Karen and the team at South Bristol Paranormal for making us feel so welcome and helping us a great deal with this episode. If you would like more information about them, 
head over to www.southbristolparanormal.co.uk. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>